Hello, thanks for tuning into this episode. Before we start, Fintech Focus TV is brought to you by Harrington Star, global leaders in financial technology recruitment. Head to the Harrington Star website and check the links below so you can download the latest copy of the Financial Technologies magazine. And also, we've got the TradFi and DeFi Era of Convergence documentary coming up. If you're interested in the merger of the two, please get in touch. Thanks a lot and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fintech Focus TV. This one is a special one. We are coming live from Steelers HQ with Matt Smith. Matt, how are you? Hey, good. Nice to have you, Toby. Great to have you back on the show. This is the first one we've done it in person for a while, I think. Maybe we did one ages ago back in the office. The yeah. Old offices. We've been on Zoom for ages and now yeah. we're back in person. And there's loads of exciting news for us to share today. Some really exciting things that are happening to the business. Before we get into all of that, though, tell us a little bit about yourself and Steeleye. Yeah, so Steeleye is a, a reg tech company. So we, we sell regulatory compliance solutions to the financial markets. Uh, but rea the reality is we're a, a data and analytics company. So we sell reg tech uh, solutions to the market, a reg tech business to our investors. Uh, but at the heart of it, we really are a data company. Yeah, and I think we've spoken a, a, a number of times about this in the past. It's a company that I think has been incredible, and we look back to to twenty twenty and the pandemic. It's a, in another business that sort of thrived through that, if that's the right way of, of saying it. Uh, move further forward, move further forward, and uh, tell us a little bit about what's happening at the moment. Yeah, so it's uh, an exciting time for us. Uh, two weeks ago, we closed our, our Series B fundraise for eighteen million sterling. Congratulations! Thank you. Um, <laughs> And for us, it's been a long journey. Actually, it was August uh, 24th last year. I was in Bermuda for a board meeting, and it was where the board uh, instructed me to go off and start the process of fundraising. Yeah. And, and literally, just I don't know how these things happen, but it was a year to the day that we actually closed the funding round. That's incredible. Isn't and, it? and yeah, I mean, during that time, loads happened, right? Like, we went through the process of looking for bankers to work with us on the process. It was the first time we used uh, bankers in the fundraising process. And then obviously going out into the market, trying to find a partner for the next stage of, of the journey. And you know, there's things that we want to do as a business that we had thought a lot about, and we want to find a partner that can align with that. And we did that all in, uh, in an environment where uh, we had conflict in, in the Ukraine, uh, and this was driving uh, energy prices up. And on the back of that, we saw lots of inflation, we saw supply chains seize up with the pandemic, with Brexit. So it was a really tough environment to yeah, raise yeah. money. So it's exciting. That I think that's a really happen. interesting thing as well, because look, this is at the moment isn't necessarily the easiest time to raise money. I've spoken about this on the show a number of different times that right now, good companies are still able to attract and get investment into their businesses. Tell me some of the learns that you've had over that sort of thing. Look, it's, it's, you've got a great track record as a company and that's definitely going to help. But also during that process, what was different? Because I know you've had various different times of raise at various different stages of growth of the business. Tell us what's, what's different this time yeah. out. Yeah, so you know, th th this was uh, a very difficult raise in a, in a market where we originally thought it was going to be relatively straightforward to raise capital, and it wasn't. It was very, very difficult, and there, there's reasons for that. But it was August 24th last year when I was in Bermuda uh, for a board meeting where I was instructed by the board to initiate the fundraise, um, and, and subsequent to that, there, there was a very long journey for us. We, uh, for the first time, appointed bankers, which we hadn't uh, used in previous raises. 
Well, I'll touch on some of the pre previous raises in a moment. Um, in a, a macro environment that was uh, incredibly challenging. Uh, we had conflict in the Ukraine post-pandemic. That led to uh, increasing energy prices, which led to inflation. Supply chains were seizing up, so uh, the cost of goods were, were going up as well. And, and all this in, in a world where we, we went from kind of very high multipliers on revenue for SaaS businesses from the private markets now decreasing massively as the private markets were trying to reprice things. And uh, with no, no alternative, the, the private markets were starting to look to the public markets uh, to kind of set where they think that prices should be at, which makes no sense, right? So if you're trying to position an early stage growth company uh, against uh, a publicly listed exactly. firm. Yeah. I mean, they're two different beasts altogether, especially with the rate of growth uh, that Steel Eye was seeing, uh, as many early stage companies do. And when we set out, it was it was Q1 uh, this year where we really began the process of meeting with investors and, and looking for the right partner. Mm -hmm. And and when you're building a business, you you look to what your plans are and try to align that with the right type of investor. I think that's really important. It's, it's fundamental and, and it, it's not easy, right? Because we're interviewing them as much as they're interviewing us as we go through the process. But eventually you get to the place where you, you find the, the things that click. I, I think, it, you know, ultimately I remember um, one day we were having one of the final meetings with, uh, with Tenkos, who's our, our new partner uh, for uh, the next stage of the growth of the business. And Brian Lynch, who's uh, our president of North America, uh, called me. He's like, I'm going to go in person to meet Tenko's at their office. And uh, about uh, a month and a half before, Brian told me that we needed a bigger office in New York. And we relocated into a new office building. And uh, the day he was going over there, he looked at the calendar and we realized that there were two meeting rooms down, or two offices down from, from us. <laughs> so it was meant to be. So we're, we're, yeah, we're, yeah. we're excited about working with them. I mean, er earlier fundraisers uh, have a different profile of, of challenge, right? Like, so uh, when I began raising early, early funds, right, we looked at the EIS, SEIS market for yeah. uh, angel investment. We ended up finding a, a family office out of the U.S. who joined, and I think I think we raised two point nine million the, f the first round. But that, that that's difficult because you're basically going to people saying, "Here's the hope and the dream." Yeah, here's yeah. here's a business that doesn't exist, yeah, yeah. and give me some money. And, and in many cases, it's their personal money that they've raised exactly. over, over the years. So it's, it's really emotional for them to, to let go of that cash, and that's a lot of trust they put in in, mm. in, in me and my team. And uh, you know, we, we very much respect that. A year after we did. That first round, we partnered up with Illuminate Financial, yeah. early stage venture capital, um, and they had they had met me in in that first kind of process of going out looking for the first round of funding, and they were kind enough not to laugh at me when I walked into their office with a PowerPoint presentation <laughs> valuing it at X million with nothing in it. Uh, but they they watched and we delivered over the next year, and on the back of that, they, they decided. Uh, that they want to be part of the journey, and we've loved working with them. We still work very yeah, close. Yeah, bringing companies that we can't do within that success of journey. Yeah, so you know, we've, we've worked with Demarks, and uh, Alexander was, was on our board. Not long after that, uh, we we needed to continue to grow the business, and we were looking for for a new partner, and we did our Series A fundraise. And I ran that process with my CFO. Uh, and, and again, these things are are hugely time consuming. They are big distractions because you're not focusing on your business mm. as well as you should be when you're, you're raising capital. And it's actually very emotional. Like you, you carry a lot personally in, into that process. And uh, we were very lucky to 
partner with Eight Rose or Fidelity International Strategic Ventures. Mm -hmm. And they came in into our series, series A raise. And, and that was quite profound because from a, a partner perspective, we actually had a few bids on that round and we took the lowest price. And we, okay. and we did that because we really believed that the value that an organization like like Fidelity could bring was significant. You know, it's everything from HR to you know, technical security. You get access to a lot of corporate support services that early stage companies just don't get. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and that's been, uh, again, a, a very profound thing. Yeah, it's such an important aspect, isn't it? To, to say, right, this isn't all about the highest bid and how quickly you sure. go, but who's going to be that? But I think sometimes through, through two reasons, one of which is either greed and one of it is desperation. People make those... Uh, those uh, well, pick those partners for the wrong reasons. Well, you have, you have to be lucky, right? Like, yeah. You know, it's not not easy to get to a position where you've got options. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I know many many people who have fundraised, including us, at, at some points in, in in the process where you don't have options and you take the capital and necessarily support you. Mm. But uh, you know, as your business starts to grow and and succeed, then you, you know you you earn the right to have those options. Yeah. After that, so this was. Uh, mid-pandemic, and this is the first time this organization has ever invested in a company where they haven't personally met the founder, and it's the first time I've ever taken capital from. Yeah, there's not a first at that time. Was yeah, that yeah, for sure. And so you're meeting over Zoom, you're trying to get to know each other, you're trying to build like a personal rapport. Because when you're bringing on an investor, you know it's like a marriage, right? In, yeah. in many ways, you work very closely together. You call each other at, at uh, all hours of the day to work through challenges and celebrate the successes as well as yeah. the hardships. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, I, I was really grateful when, when Ed Mullen and his team from Beacon uh, joined. I remember having uh, so many Zoom calls just trying to kind of build this friendship. You know, we, we, we hadn't met until about two months ago. When, Is that right? Yeah, when he, and he'd been with the business for a few years uh, when he came over to, to London. In fact, part of, part of the, the reason I was in Bermuda when we had that board meeting was Ed, Ed and I were going to meet there because he couldn't come to the UK and I couldn't go to the US. Found a middle ground. Found a middle ground. <laughs> but unfortunately, it was when uh, hurricanes were taking place in Florida, which is where he was based, and uh, he couldn't make it to Bermuda. Like, oh, well, it's a bit of a ball meeting in Bermuda anyway. <laughs> there was. <laughs> yeah. It's got its pluses. That leads us to here, and you mentioned there that there were you know, challenges for a number of different reasons about this round and hard, hard and anticipated. Yeah, I've, I've said it that, and I've spoken to Mark over at Illuminate around this as well, that there is an appetite and there's money in the system at the moment for, for good businesses. And I think. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, the clear thing is, is that, and I, said, I was talking about this the other day, that good businesses should always be able to attract money. But that story's got to be that much sharper. Uh, the, the expectations of the, of the founder have to be that much sharp, uh, you know, sharper as well. Yeah. That's a difficult thing. You talked about the personal nature of all this, but for, you know, this is the baby that you basically thought of and, and you know, brought up and reared. Tell me a little bit about how that process came through where it was it was the, the marriage of expectations. Well, we, we were learning a lot, right? So when we went out into the market, we were still in, in the healthy market. And it was only in the first couple of weeks we started to realize actually things were changing significantly. And it was when the, the central bank started to increase rates. Mm. And that was where there was a bit of a panic, right? Mm. Now you've got all these private investment firms. There's a load of capital out there right now. So mm. they're, they're sitting on lots of money and it needs to get deployed. They've got LPs, we've got expectations of them as, as investment. Uh, organizations and suddenly nobody wanted to to put bids out because they didn't know how to price it. And yeah. it, was, it was not that they didn't think that the businesses were good or sustainable or that the world was going to blow up. 
They just knew that there was a pricing reset happening. Um, and we came right at the front of that. Right? Yeah. So, so we're trying to figure it out. They're trying to figure it out. Our bankers are trying to figure it out. Yeah. Our investors are trying to figure it out. So you're, you're kind of working through all this. And who out of those four make the, make the call? How does that come into Well, it? It, it all have to, right, at yeah. some point, right? Like you got to triangulate the different kind of information sets you have to come to the right place and you got to get comfortable with it. And uh, we were prepared for that. And it was just working on, you know, what are, what are the needs of the business? We were and still are very confident about our business, the growth that we're seeing. I think what you'll find from uh, a private markets perspective, so for, for those of you who are out raising capital now, what you'll find is as the, the year kind of goes into the last half, the last couple of quarters, uh, that, that capital will start to move again. Mm. People will get more comfortable with the pricing adjustments and where things should be priced. Yeah, I but I think also that there's expectations from the investors into these funds that they're deploying this capital. Mm. So they just can't sit on it. I mean, at the end of the year, if you're uh, running a venture fund and you've done no investments, yeah. your LPs are going to be asking. You've got conscious yeah. Yeah, Exactly. Uh, so it makes a really, really interesting market on that. But like I said, as I say, good companies are, are, are attracting investment. Yeah. So that, that means that uh, you know, to raise a significant raise as you guys have done at Series B, there's things that you, you're doing right. Talk to us about the sort of criteria that you felt made you as investable as you have been. Well, I mean, there's, there's loads in it. I, I, I want to come on to people because that, that was a big thing for us when, when we were looking to Tenkos as our, our potential partner. You know, number one, you've got to have a, a solid business, right? So we had uh, solid growth. You know, last year we were, we were boasting a 98% client retention rate. We had 90% uh, year-on-year growth. So the business was growing very healthy. We incorporated in Portugal and grew our India team uh, on, on the back of COVID from, I think it was like six people. That's now 35 and, and growing fast. Yeah. Uh, and, and well over 100 staff now around the world, we opened up in the U.S., uh, we know that there's a lot of opportunity there for us Absolutely. and we want to go after it. So it's so a good, solid business. You know, we've got a great product, so I'm very proud of our product. It's doing something that no other uh, solutions provider can, right? So we're able to do truly do communications and trade surveillance, so holistic surveillance. I've heard firms talking about this in the market for years. Uh, the reality is nobody else is doing it. It doesn't mean people won't, but we've got a bit of a, a, a march, a head start, mm -hmm. and we need to capitalize on the momentum there. So. That makes it, 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 it appealing. And then culture and people. For, for, for us, right, like we, we really believe that's at the, the cornerstone, it's the bedrock of, of our business. We invest a lot of time, effort, thought, and, and capital into making sure we have the uh, best culture possible mm -hmm. and, and also consistent, right? So if you go to, to our India office, I haven't been yet, but I've had seen team members go over. Uh, and I'm, I'm due to go on over in the next month. But I'm told if you go into a, the Steel Eye office in, in uh, Bangalore, not only does it feel like you're in the Steel Eye office in London, but culturally they, they behave the same. It's got a cookie cutter too. Yeah. So how did you attain that? Because that's not an easy easy play, is it? Well, it's it's thinking about people, right? So so uh, Arjun, who is our, our managing director out in, in in India, was based here. Mm. And uh, we haven't come over regularly. He was based here before we opened the office out there and, and moved out uh, to, to open it. It was quite quite a, a cute story. So Arjun was working with us in the very early days and we, his, his visa was up and we couldn't sponsor because the company was too young. So he said, I'll go back to India for a year. And uh, after that, we'll, we'll do a transfer and I'll come back. Well, he did, but then he fell in love and got married. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, as a result, he ended up staying. 
And in time, you know, we, we built the business, he built the business and managed to keep the culture. Uh, I love that serendipity of how it works as well. So that wasn't, wasn't necessarily a... It wasn't a plan at all. Yeah. And it just, it kind of worked. We, we were actually looking at Northern Ireland as a near shore. Yeah. Um, Portugal. So yeah. That's a, a great location. Yeah. Portugal, we have a, uh, an office in Braga built around the university. Just phenomenal people out there. Some of the smartest data scientists and engineers I've, I've met. And uh, we're very excited about our continued commitment. To, to Portugal, I was out having lunch with the UK ambassador to Portugal a couple yeah, of weeks ago, yeah. um, and, the, and then the US. So we we opened up in, in the US. Now that that again was very fortuitous. So Brian and I both had companies in the Illuminate portfolio. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian and I were working together. We were competing together many years ago, and uh, uh, ultimately uh, he sold his business to Bloomberg. And it was the week that we decided to. Uh, do the fundraise and expand into North America. This was in the August board meeting. Brian calls me and he's like, uh, Matt, have you got anything going? I'm keen to get back into the early so it works. And it just worked, right? So he joined us, but he, he culturally knew us. My CFO used to be his CFO. So okay. there's, there's some kind of uh, tie in there. He knew our people and very much aligned to our culture. Uh, we then have, have sent out Emmy Grandstrom um, secondment uh, to help us not just build the marketing franchise out in, in North America, but help instill the, the culture. culture. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it seems to be working, and you know the culture evolves, but it's an important element to uh, why Tenco's decided to invest in it. I think that's a that's a really important part, isn't it? Because the more and more I look at this, the more and more people I speak to, the more I recognise that culture is a, is a key ingredient to everything that, that successful businesses are built on. I think sometimes people you know, really focus on products or the technology and all those sort of things, and they they make a lot of noise around that. But it's the it's the culture and the people that allow all of those great things to happen as a as a company thereafter. You, you and that's you have to have it all, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and I think it's driven by that. Isn't right, it? Yeah, if you've got sure. culture, you think the retention. If you've got the retention, you can do great things and, and attract great you know great people, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I know that's been. The secret ingredient that you guys well, it's put hard, right? right? Like the, and, and like the like I go think back to like early funding and things like that, and like the the stages where you know it's make or break, right? If you run out of money, that's it. The company's gone, and, and you're doing this while trying to build a culture. Yeah, and and. You know, I just remember in those days, there was like these ways where the culture was awesome and then it was terrible. And then it was all along, we had a great product, right? And we had a, we had a good business, but like it was kind of getting all that right. And then some, at some point, it just kind of all connects. And So what allowed that to connect? You know, if you, you, you say you went through those undulations of culture. The people, getting the people right. So right yeah, people. Yeah, find the right people. Like if you've got somebody who's bad for culture, it talks yeah. to certainly an early stage company. They just have to go and they have to go fast. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to learn how to, to, to recognize that. And then the good people empower them, right? And, and you've and you spent a lot of time, thought and energy making it a great place to work as well. You spent a lot of time making sure that you're thinking of people. I mean, look, I know you had uh, all the, the, the company's kids, uh, kids Amy, the, 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 the other day, for example. But I think there's a lot of thought and attention put into that. Was that, was that, has that always been conscious or has it been the fact that you've it's something which is in you naturally. What's what's well, I think, so if if you look at our culture, like how I kind of think of it, right? Like we're a company of foodies. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm a foodie. I love eating out. I encourage it. I support it. Uh, and everybody seems to, to kind of have that in them. Um, in fact, one, one of my favorite interview questions that I like to throw in randomly halfway through. Now, if somebody's watching this, and they have is what's your favorite restaurant and why? And, and the reason I ask. As much as I'm curious about learning about new restaurants, you learn a lot about somebody, right? Yeah. Like what what 
motivates them? What, what's kind of emotionally connecting them to an experience that they yeah. while eating? What's the food they like? And, and you, you, you learn a lot about somebody and you hear some fascinating tales. I mean, this is, this is now a question which can't not be asked. What's your favorite restaurant and why, man? Oh, <laughs> and I get, I get that thrown back at me, and that's hard because I've got so many. Um, the, the, the one I, I tend to fall back on because it, it is a special one for me is I used to live in Hong Kong for many years, and uh, Southeast East Asia is very kind of close to my heart. But there's uh, a place in Macau. So if you've ever been to Macau, Macau is the, the Vegas of, of Asia. Um, it's an ex-Portuguese colony. It's got the casinos. It's, you know, 45 minutes by boat from Hong Kong or like five minutes by helicopter. And then uh, on the very backside, as you go through way past all the casinos into like, into nowhere, there's a beach and on this beach, there's a little restaurant called Fernando's. And uh, you just get sucked into Portugal. <laughs> the food is great. It's really inexpensive and it's just magical. Love it, love it. So let's get back on the script. <laughs> script yeah. script from that on the segue. There's investment, there's excitement, there's, there's companies who are backing this, the, the businesses, the business and the records and, and all of the good news keeps on coming out of, of Steam at the moment. Tell us about what this means. What does Series B mean for you, for your customers, for the team? Where does, where does it go? Well, I mean, we, we were growing fast anyways. We were investing quite heavily into growth. We mm-hmm. saw North America as being a key opportunity for us. We have clients in Canada and the U.S. today. Mm-hmm. And we can support that from, from here. But for us, there's a, a big sales and marketing and sales support agenda that we want to uh, to invest in, which is where, where we're going right now. So we, we have a hiring plan. We're looking at uh, recruiting quite a, a lot of staff over there, mm-hmm. maybe on that kind of commercial side of things as opposed to engineering, yeah. right, where we, we do a lot of that uh, here in the U.K., Portugal, and India. So we'll be investing a lot in, into there. We obviously will continue to grow our business here in, in Europe. We're investing a lot in bringing in people to help us do that, accelerate uh, our products, scale the business. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're now selling into uh, tier one institutions as much as second tier institutions. And there's a whole different profile about how you support that, how you execute that, expectations on products. So we're investing a lot in, into that and, and we'll continue. North America for, for me was always a, a strategic growth opportunity from a, a geographical perspective. Um, but we've started to do a lot of business in Asia, uh, coming into Australia. We view that as, as very much a growth opportunity for us. So we have clients in, in, in Asia and in Singapore and Hong Kong, Australia. Uh, we, we've got a, a person going over to, to Melbourne to start helping set up a business down there. We'll be setting up in, in, in Singapore to support the region. And uh, for, for us, that's kind of an exciting side of the business that is opportunistic as opposed to strategic and that's just driven off commercial opportunity so again it comes down then to an increase an increasing client base yeah. more options talk about the products in, in itself what do you what do you anticipate what can customers expect to see from you well so so we, we offer three products today so we do communication surveillance trade surveillance which is best execution tca market abuse detection and then finally european regulatory reporting um, and we'll continue to support uh, those kind of three uh, vertical ecosystems. We are the only provider that we know of that's doing holistic surveillance across trade and communications, which in th- this world is absolutely relevant. So if you think about insider trading as an example, if somebody's offering you a product that does communications or trades independently, I'm sorry, you're not actually supervising for insider trading. To do insider trading, you need to know the orders and trades. Uh, so what was being traded? You need to know what was going on in the market, so market price, market volume, you need market data. So we have all the market data. Uh, you need to know what's being said. So is somebody on WhatsApp, Bloomberg, email, voice, 
Uh, and then finally, what's going on in the news? So you need news information to actually do insider trading properly. Mm -hmm. And without having all that information together in one place, uh, you wouldn't be able to successfully, as far as I'm concerned, truly monitor for insider trading. We're the only provider in the market today that offers that. Mm. That could change, will change at some point, <laughs> yeah. I'm sure. But today, today that's just the facts. So, so you know, we'll continue to invest in, in being the strongest in, in those products. Uh, are we going to do Canadian IROC reporting, SWAT reporting in the U.S.? May we're yeah. figuring that out as we start to work out our, our, our U.S. strategy. Certainly what I want to do a lot more of is empower our clients to harness this data, right? So you go through a, a painful exercise of building a, a data lake that's fully populated, make use of it, open REST APIs, uh, reporting capabilities. We know a lot of uh, the competition uh, in, in this space will find ways to capitalize off their clients for uh, it, allowing them access to this data that belongs to them. We believe in uh, the democratization of information. Mm -hmm. This is your data. You should have rights to it. You should be able to access it. So we're going to continue investing and in making that a reality for our clients. I think that's like, the exciting part, isn't it? The scale of the opportunity. Whilst the business has done as well as it has so far, there's still from America through to the tier ones to, yeah. to this, this enormous scalability that we across vertical we sell to everybody right yeah. we've got uh, some of the biggest energy trading companies we've got uh, world tier one banks we've got all buy side sell side brokers hedge funds asset managers you name it their clients uh, of all different yeah. sizes from tiny to huge yeah, yeah. and we can we can support them and that, that's really important you know we've got over 140 institutional clients today and you know, we're signing up somewhere between three and seven a month yes yeah, and, and we're continuing to work on ways to optimize organization to support that uh, the more efficient we are at onboarding as an example the less strain it puts on my my integration teams um, the less complex uh, complexity there is for clients. We're just implementing a system to optimize that. And, and we're, we're looking at every element of our business. How do we scale faster, leaner, and leaner? Not the sound of it. So I'm going to finish with one, one last thing. Look, there's, there's, there's excitement and we're talking about growth and we're talking about a business now that's going to really take take the, uh, the bull by the horns and move further forward. When people are watching this and thinking, that's a shit that I need to be on, why are people joining Steeleye? Why should they join Steeleye? And what's the opportunity look like for people who are coming into it? Well, I, I, like, I, I don't obviously, obviously interview everybody, but I do interview a few roles. I always ask that question, like, why, do, why do you want to work for, for my company? <laughs> I, I think like, the, the word on the street is we've got a, a reputation of really treating our staff well. We have a lot of integrity, uh, and that's internally and externally with our clients as well as with our employees and partners. We have a great product. I, I mean, I'm lucky as, a, as an entrepreneur when you, you start a business, uh, and you've got no product and you've got to build it and you've got engineers off coding it. When it comes out good, you, you're just very lucky. I remember when we hired our, our first UX designer, he was an Italian guy, and he would come in and I'd sit there and say, I want it to look like this and this button to be there. One day he looked at me and he's like, Matt, if you tell me how to design this one more time, I'm, I'm out of here. So then the next three months, I just had to sit there crossing my fingers Hoping when the Tada moment came, it was going to be a good product, and it was. So you did it right. Did it right on that one. Yeah. So that that whole thing, I think that, that as, from my from my experience, and this is outside looking in, and obviously having some sort of uh, interest over the years and seeing it all, all grow, it's again, you know, there's there's it's great people mixed with being looked after and and doing some exciting things that are really moving me you and know, moving the markets further forward. So. Matt, congratulations. It sounds like everything's going really, really well. Excited to see what's happening. The hard work starts now. It does, it does indeed. Give yourself a week or two to enjoy it. Yeah. But Matt, lovely having you on the show. Yeah, thank nice you. Very much. And uh, 
Thank you all for watching. We'll see you soon on an episode of FinTech Focus TV.